I do want to welcome those who've joined us by way of the internet. Thank you for being part of this sermon series. You should be able to download the listening guide and follow right along with us as we study God's Word. The message of Easter is one of redemption. That is, all of us were held in bondage by sin. All of us had gone through the death and discouragement, the defeat of sin. All of us were unable to save ourselves. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We just couldn't save ourselves. Hard as we tried, we couldn't do it. We were people who were dead in sin, lost and separated from God. But God saw us in our great need, and because He loved us so much, He was willing to send His own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on a cross and pay the price for our sins with His own blood. That is a message of redemption. Redemption is when you buy back something. We were created in the image of God. Sin marred that image. And so God bought us back with the blood of Christ. He bought us back for himself. He bought us back from the slave market of sin. All of us in bondage. And that's called redemption. Ruth and Boaz give us a picture of this redemption. It's a wonderful story. And I sort of want to review it with you by using a genealogical chart. So, for those of you who haven't been with us for this series, here's a review. All right, here's the genealogical chart. Down at the bottom, we see the beginning point of this story, and it's Naomi and Elimelech. Naomi and Elimelech, husband and wife. And they were living at a time when there was spiritual decline in the nation of Israel. Things were going downhill rapidly. Does that remind you of anything? Kind of feels like our own society, doesn't it? It feels like our own culture that's going downhill rapidly. And the problem back then is the problem today. Back then, people quit seeking the Lord. Their hearts were turned away from the Lord. And so God set a famine on the land. It's the same problem today. People have quit seeking the Lord. And so there is a famine of spiritual food in the land. Well, Elimelech said, I've got to get out of here. God's judgment is on this place, and I've got to get out of here, and so I'm going to go to Moab. Well, that was really the wrong thing to do. Because if you're under God's discipline, the last thing you want to do is run away. So Elimelech and Naomi ran away to a land called Moab. Moab was a country of idolatry. 
and they got there to escape the famine. But what happened in Moab was that Elimelech died. So Elimelech is gone, and now there's just Naomi and Malon and Chilion. Malon and Chilion were the two sons of Naomi and Elimelech. So they're there, and they marry wives from the Moabites. They married outside the faith. When you're out of God's will, you make bad decisions. So they marry outside the faith, and now Malon and Chilion are married. They're still in Moab. They're still away from the will of God for their lives. Malon marries Ruth. Chilion marries Orpah. Ruth and Orpah are both Moabite women, and they're not part of the faith. Well, they're there in Moab. Some time passes. Malon dies. Chilion dies. Now Naomi, a widow, is also childless. Hard place to be. Can you think of anything harder? you think of anything more difficult than losing your own children? Heartbreaking situation. And now Naomi has these two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. She says to her daughters-in-law, we're in a bad way, and I'm just going to go back to Bethlehem. Bethlehem, the house of bread. Guess what? The famine was over. It was time for Naomi to go home back to the will of God for her life. So she says to her two daughters-in-law, you all are Moabites. Why don't you all just stay here? Orpah says, oh, we want to go with you. Naomi says, no, you're going to be better off here. You'll get remarried. Everything will be better for you here. Orpah says, okay, I'll stay here among the idolaters. Ruth, on the other hand, says, no, your God is my God, and I'm following you. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. Ruth had been converted. She found the Lord, and she followed Naomi back to Bethlehem. When we get to Bethlehem, Naomi has only Ruth, and these are both widows. And in the culture and the time, a widow was the most vulnerable person in society. People would take advantage of them all the time. There was no support system for her. All the men, the breadwinners, in the family are gone. So they are in a bad way. Naomi's lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. She's lost her means of support. She's pretty bitter about it. She's angry with God. God, why did you take all this from me? In fact, when she gets back to Bethlehem, she tells everybody, she said, look, I went away full, but I came back empty. God has afflicted me. So she blamed God for her rebellion. 
Sound familiar? So she's angry with the Lord. But God's at work. He's at work in her heart. He's at work in her life. And he's been at work in Ruth's life. So they get back to Bethlehem at a time of harvest. Naomi and Ruth have no means of support. They're there in the community that they know. They're back home. God's going to provide for them. Naomi says, Ruth, why don't you go out and glean in the fields? And sure enough, Ruth goes out and gleans the fields. That means she picks up what's been left by the harvest. Now, under Jewish law, those that owned the land were not to harvest the corners of the field. They were to let that go to the poor. It was part of God's plan to supply the needs for poor people. God has a heart for poor people. He loves them, and so should we. So in the process of gleaning, Ruth is guided providentially to the field of Boaz. It says she just happened to come on the field of Boaz. Well, guided God, God had guided her right to the field of Boaz. And she's in the field gleaning. She's gathering up the remnants, the things that are left over, so she can take it home and feed herself and Naomi, her mother-in-law. And just at the time she's in the field, God brings Boaz to that very field, to the very section of the field where Ruth is harvesting. You see, God always has a plan. He's got a plan for you even when you're away from Him. He's got a plan to bless you. He's got a plan to redeem you. He's got a plan to work in your life. And He did in the life of Ruth. So Boaz notices Ruth. See, God guided her to the field. He brought Boaz at the right time, and he caused Boaz to notice Ruth. You see, God really is in control. Can you say amen? amen? He is in control. He guides us to the very spot that he wants us to be. He introduces us to the people he wants us to meet. Yes, he has a plan, and if you'll seek him, his plan will unfold for you. Well, Ruth was seeking the Lord. She was trusting God, and God brought the very man to the very spot at the very time he wanted them together because Boaz is going to become Ruth's husband. Can I say this to every single person who's here today? If you will seek the Lord, he will bring across your path the very person he wants you to marry. If you'll seek the Lord, if you seek the person you might find the wrong person. But if you'll seek the Lord, He knows better than you do what you really need, and He'll bring the right person across your path. I thought I might get an amen there. Especially from those of you who found the right person. <laughs> okay. So Boaz meets Ruth. He's very kind to her. He says, I want you to uh, harvest right here in my field. Don't go anyplace else. And then he tells the harvesters, he says, nobody touches her. Nobody messes with this woman, Ruth. And you people who are harvesting, let some of that grain just fall to the ground so she'll get extra. 
And she went home that day with a whole pile of harvested grain. And she gets home to Naomi, and Naomi says, Where have you been? I see that you had a great harvest. And Ruth says, Well, I was in the field of Boaz. Naomi knows immediately Boaz is a near relative. And he can act as a kinsman redeemer. And so she instructs Ruth about what she needs to do. She says, go back to that field. When Boaz lays down at night, I want you to go into where he's laying down. I want you to uncover his feet and lay down there. It was a marriage proposal. Ruth says to Boaz, when he awakens and finds her laying down at his feet, she says to Boaz, spread your wings over me. It was a marriage proposal. And so he agrees to do this. He agrees to act as the kinsman redeemer. Now he's older than, than Ruth, and uh, she has three strikes against her. She's a widow. She's poor. And she's a Moabite. She's outside the covenant family. Now, she's been brought into the covenant family by grace because she's been saved. Oh, may I just share this with you? You all were all outside the covenant family, and God brought all of you in by His grace. So she's got three strikes against her. But I want you to know when God's got His eye on you, you can have three strikes against you and you still win. And sure enough, God had a great plan for Ruth. Watch what happens. Ruth marries Boaz. They have a son whose name is Obed. And Obed has a son whose name is Jesse. And Jesse has a son whose name is David, king of Israel. And so God, by His grace, takes this Moabite woman out of nowhere with three strikes against her. And he surrounds her with his grace and brings her into relationship with himself and makes her the great-grandmother of King David and the forerunner of the Messiah. What an awesome God we have! Well, that's the story, and here's where we pick it up in Ruth chapter 4. So, if you have a Bible and want to follow along, I'll be reading from Ruth chapter 4. Boaz has agreed to act as a kinsman redeemer. We're going to be talking about that a little bit today. Boaz redeems Ruth chapter 4. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And you have to know that in Jewish culture... All the business was conducted at the city gates. It was the men that conducted the business. And so they gathered some men to do business there at the city gate. That's what we're reading about. Boaz is about to transact and buy back Naomi's inheritance, 
Naomi's land, Naomi's family, he's going to marry Ruth. And he does this at a transaction at the city gate. He's going to act as kinsman redeemer. So Boaz went to the gate, sat down there. Behold, the close relative with whom Boaz had spoken came by. And Boaz said, come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city. It took ten men to form a synagogue and ten men to transact official business. So he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. She sold it because she was in poverty. She had nothing on which to live. She's bankrupt, just like you and I are bankrupt. We have nothing to offer the Lord. We're separated from Him by our sin, and we're spiritually bankrupt, spiritually dead, unable to save ourselves, unable to do anything for ourselves. And so by God's grace, we have been saved. We've been redeemed. We've been brought back into relationship with Himself. So here is... Naomi, the widow of Elimelech, it is Elimelech's land and inheritance that has been sold just to help the family survive. They're destitute. Verse 4, And I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, then redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, I'll redeem it, because he thinks it's just buying back land. He said, I just want the land. Just give me the land. Friends, there's all kinds of people ready to sell you a story. And they are not looking out for your soul. They just want a piece of you. Listen to this. I will redeem it. But Boaz said, On the day you must buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, because she is also in the line of inheritance, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the close relative says, well, I can't redeem it for myself lest I ruin my own inheritance. You see, what would have happened is that this man would have bought, bought the land and then had to marry Ruth. And then the children of this man and Ruth would be the inheritors of that property. And he was saying, I don't want to split my inheritance between my children and Ruth's children. Boy, I'm telling you, what a mess we get ourselves in, don't we? Lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was a confirmation in Israel. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. And so he took off his sandal. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to, 
to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built up the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Ephrathah is another way of saying Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. They are asking a blessing from God on the union between Boaz and Ruth. Do you think God answered that prayer? Boy, did he. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went in to her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. May I just remind you that if you have a child, it's because the Lord gave you that child. He gave her conception. And she bore a son. And the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. And then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and she became a nurse to him. Also the neighbor women gave him a name saying there is a son born to Naomi and they called his name Obed and he's the father of Jesse, the father of David. Look at that. This is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, Ram begot Amenadab, Amenadab begot Nation, Nation begot Salmon, Salmon begot Boaz, Boaz begot Obed, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David, and David is the forerunner of the Messiah. What a great story, a historical story that demonstrates to us the grace of God. Now, there's some things that we learn from this passage of Scripture that are applying to us today, and I just want to share them with you as we study together. First of all, three important truths we learn from this passage. First of all, the kinsman redeemer had to be a blood relative. Now, Boaz was a near relative of Naomi's husband, so he was qualified to act as a kinsman redeemer for the family this kinsman redeemer could come in and he could for instance uh, buy back property which had been lost through poverty and debt such was the case with Naomi a kinsman redeemer might also purchase a family member who had been sold into slavery to pay a debt I, I want you not to miss this every one of us had a sin debt we could not pay. And there was a Savior, His name is Jesus, and He came in and He paid off our debts. And so across the cross is written, paid in full, purchasing us back for Himself. A kinsman redeemer might also marry the widow in order to redeem the deceased husband's estate. And then any children who were born into that family would reclaim their rights to the estate. So this kinsman redeemer had to be a blood, a blood relative, and Naomi had a blood relative in Boaz. 
Jesus Christ is the blood relative of all mankind. God, you see, took on human flesh. God became a man so that he might redeem us from the curse of sin. God became a man. Yes, Jesus Christ is the one and only Son of the living God. God took on a human body so he could act as our kinsman redeemer. He was blood related to us. He became a man so that he could suffer for you and me. And this day is the day we celebrate the suffering of Christ on the cross, his burial and his resurrection from the dead. He's our kinsman redeemer a blood relative of all mankind. He is our blood relative. Notice these verses. First of all, Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. You see, we were all under the law of God. We were all declared sinners. We were all failing to measure up to God's standard. And the law was oppressing us. We were under that bondage. But Jesus Christ came, fulfilled the law completely, and then took upon Himself our sin debt. That's the reason He died. He died for your sins and mine. He died on the cross, shedding His blood so that you and I could be forgiven, be set free, be redeemed for eternity, that we might have eternal life in Him. And now, you who were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who were separated from God because of your sins have now been brought near to God because of His great love and grace. You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. He gave it to us because of His amazing love and grace. Amen. Amen. That'll get you excited. Notice this verse. It's here in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. Now let me point out a couple of things about that verse. One, Jesus Christ didn't just become a man so that he could die for us. He became a man so he could sympathize with us. So he could act as a merciful and faithful high priest. So whatever it is that you're going through today, he knows and he understands because he became a man. He suffered things that you and I have suffered. He knows what it means to grieve. He knows what it means to have your dreams crushed. He knows what it means to be betrayed. He knows what it means to feel lost. He's been there and done that. He's our great Savior. He's a merciful and faithful high priest. That means He's ready to step in to help you. And all you have to do is ask. All you've got to do is ask. He will wait for you to ask. But if you will ask, He is a faithful and merciful high priest. Whatever you need today, my friend, 
He is a faithful and merciful high priest. I want you to see that word propitiation. It's not a word we use. Really doesn't fit much into our vocabulary. You wouldn't hear anybody in Walmart using this word. But the word means satisfaction. And what this verse is talking about is this. God, who is holy, absolutely must punish sin. The Bible says he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Is there anybody in here today who is guilty? You don't have to raise your hand because I know all of you are. And, and let me just say this. I'm right in there with you. I'm the leader of this bunch of guilts. Okay, listen. We're guilty. And God says He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. And He's a holy God and He must keep His word. And He must punish sin. But, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. And so God, who loves you so much, doesn't want to punish you, but He's a holy God and He has to punish sin. And He resolved this dilemma in the most amazing way. He sent His own Son to die in your place. That's propitiation. He satisfied the demands of a holy God. He took the punishment for your sin and mine. He took it upon Himself. And now, He calls upon you to believe Him. For whosoever believes will not perish, but have eternal life. And it's a free gift. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And you must receive that gift. You can't just sit there and say, oh yeah, that's good. I like that story. I, I think that's right. You can't just intellectually agree with that and say, I'm saved. No, this is about life commitment of you to Him. It's you saying, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ died for me and I commit my life to Him. That's what it means to be saved. And that's what He asks of you today. Well, the kinsman redeemer had to be a blood relative. But he also had to be having the necessary resources. You see, you can't redeem anybody if you don't have the resources. If you're just as poor as they are, then you can't redeem them. When I was $40,000 in credit card debt, I had a guy come to me one day and he said, could you loan me some money? I said, you've got to be kidding, man. I'm so far in debt, I can't owe you. I can't loan you anything. If anything, it should be the opposite. May I just say this? All of us were so far in debt, we had nothing to offer anybody. You couldn't die for anybody's sins because you are a sinner. The only reason Jesus could die is because he was not a sinner. 
He was the only Son of God who never sinned. He was the sinless, perfect Son of God and worthy to die as our sacrifice. He's the only one that could. Everybody else is a sinner, so you've got to die for your own sin. You can't die for somebody else's. Only Jesus could die for your sins and for mine. The kinsman redeemer had to be able. Boaz was a wealthy man, and so he was well able to redeem the land and the people. Jesus Christ, the very Son of the living God, is well able to redeem everybody who comes to Him in faith. He paid the ransom price in His own blood. Notice these verses. 1 Corinthians 6, 20. For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Listen, if you are a child of God, you belong to God and you belong to Him forever. And you were bought with a price and the price was the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. He redeemed you for Himself. You belong to Him. And if you've ever committed your life to Christ, you belong to Him forever, no matter how far you have wandered. He'll still bring you home. What a great day to come home. Easter Sunday, 2016, I came back to the Lord. Wouldn't that be an awesome story? You know, you can. You can because of the blood of Christ. You can because He was not only willing, He was able. He's the near relative, the blood relative of all mankind, and He's able because He's the Son of God and the Savior of the world. He's able. He shed His own blood. He's able. He's willing to save you if you'll but come. He's that great Savior. Well, there's another verse. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, all of us have experienced the futile ways. (laughs) It's the dead-end street that every one of us have been on where we've been trying to run our own lives and do our own thing. We've said, yes, God, I know you're there, but I really don't have time for you right now. I have my plan and my agenda, and that's called futile ways. They're empty ways. They lead you down a dead-end street, and one day you're going to wake up And you're going to realize, I've spent my whole life on things that don't matter. What does that say? Feudal ways. Knowing that you were ransomed, you were redeemed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. It is the blood of Christ that has redeemed you. He paid the price. He was not only our blood relative, but He was well able to pay the price. Precious blood of a lamb without spot or blemish. He was the sinless, spotless Lamb of God taken to a cruel cross and nailed there and then your sin and mine piled upon Him by God and then God punished our sin in Christ at the cross. 
And these sins have been paid for. You don't have to pay for them. They've been paid for in full. How much of your sin has been paid for? Say it again. How much? All your sin paid for by the blood of Christ at the cross. He was not only a blood relative, but he was well able to redeem all who will come and pay for all our sins. Lastly, this kinsman redeemer had to be willing. He had to be willing to pay the price. Well, Boaz met somebody who was qualified. He was a blood relative. He was able. He was rich. But he wasn't willing. He said, I don't want to split my inheritance. Boaz said, I'll pay the price. I'm willing to redeem. May I just say this to you? Jesus Christ paid the price. He was willing to lay down his life for you. And he will share his eternal inheritance with you. He brought you into his family. I realize a lot of y'all don't like preachers that get wound up. I'm sorry. But this stuff excites me. I mean, I'm passionate about this. And the reason is because I want you to know my Savior. I want you to know how wonderful He is. Because He bought me back from the slave market of sin. I was a slave to my own selfish, sinful desires. And the Lord, by His grace, saved me, redeemed me with His own precious blood. And now I am forgiven forever. And I've got a home in heaven, and I want you to have one too. He was willing to pay the ultimate price and redeem us from the bondage of sin. Notice this. Verses that really are so important. I've got a couple of them that I want to share with you. First of all, John 10. If you have your Bibles and you want to look it up, these are wonderful verses that talk about the redemption of our Lord Jesus. This is chapter 10 and verses 15 to 18. Listen to these verses. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. Listen to this. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and they will be one flock and one shepherd. Do you know who the other sheep are? That's us! The sheep of Israel were joined by the sheep of the Gentiles. That's us. And now we have one flock. Jewish believers and Gentile believers all in one body with one head, the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my Father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This command I've received from my Father. You see, Jesus was willing. Nobody took his life. He laid it down because he loved you so much. 
God demonstrates His own love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, 1 John 3, 16. It's coming up here on the screen for us to read. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. You see, our kinsman Redeemer was not just a blood relative. He was a blood relative of all mankind. But he was also able, because He was the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, He was able to lay down His life. And He was willing to. Nobody took his life. He was willing to lay it down for you and me. Let me just say this to you. The Lord Jesus is here this morning. He's walking among us, looking for one whose heart is ready to believe, to receive, to commit to Him. Maybe you're that person today. Maybe He's already spoken to your heart. Maybe He spoke to your heart through the psalms we were singing. Maybe He spoke to you through a prayer. Maybe He spoke to you through a friend that came up and greeted you. Maybe God has already spoken to you and your heart's already been made tender. I want you to know that the pew that you're sitting in has already been prayed over. Every one of these pews has been prayed over and you're sitting in a place that has been prayed over just for you. Here's the wonderful news. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you can do that today. You can call upon Him. Would you bow your heads with me, please, and let's pray. Father, this is your time of invitation. We have been celebrating our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And dear Father, you're the only one who can change our hearts. You're the only one who can speak to us of your love and grace. You're the only one who can take a cold heart and warm it with your love and grace. You're the only one who can take a rebellious heart and bring it into humble submission to yourself. You're the only one who can do that. And I'm asking you, in the precious and powerful name of the Lord Jesus, to work among us even now, bringing our hearts in submission to the will of Jesus Christ. I'm asking you, Father, to draw people to Yourself today, that person that feels so far away from You, Lord, would You help them to know and experience Your unfailing love today? And that person who has been separated from You through their own vain philosophies, through their own vain, futile pursuits, they've been separated from You and have never experienced what it's like to be loved, accepted, and forgiven. Oh, God! I pray that you'll break through that. You're the only one that can do it. Would you do that for Jesus' sake today? As we continue in prayer, there may be people here today that have never committed their lives to Christ. And I want to give you that opportunity right now. I have no intention of embarrassing you. 
but I want to give you a chance to receive Christ as your Savior. I want to give you a chance to commit your life to Him right now. And you can do that in prayer right where you are, right where you're seated. You can do that right now. There's three things I want you to remember. One, A, you must admit that you're a sinner. You don't come to Christ on your own terms. You come to Christ on His terms. And He says you have to admit it. You have to admit that you need Him. You have to admit, I've been a sinner. I've been away from you. I've been in rebellion against you. I've been disobedient. I have failed, Lord. That's admitting that you're a sinner. That's A. Here's B. You believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose again. That's why we're here celebrating today. You know that you can do A and B and still die and go to hell? That's terrible. Here's the C. Commit your life to Jesus Christ. It's not about what you know in your head. It's about your life commitment. Admitting you're a sinner is called repentance. Believing that Jesus Christ died for you, that's faith. But the thing that ties it all together is your commitment of your life to Him. That's the bow on the package. So I want to give you that opportunity to commit your life to Him right now. I'd like for you to pray with me. You don't have to pray out loud. It's not important. What is important is that you pray from your heart that you really mean it. Sincerely. So pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I admit to you that I've done my own thing for far too long. I admit to you that I'm lost and I need a Savior. Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for me, that you went to a cross and shed your blood so that I could be forgiven. I believe that you went to the grave and that on the third day you rose from the dead. I believe. And right now, I commit my life to you. I invite you to be my Savior and Lord, to forgive all my sins, to make me the person that you want me to be. I invite you to be my Savior and Lord. Now, if anybody here just prayed that prayer with me for the very first time, I promise you I'm not here to make a mockery of anything. I'm not here to embarrass you. All I want to do is pray for you. Okay? So if you just prayed that prayer with me for the very first time, would you just raise your hand right now just so I can pray for you? That's all I want to do. just want to pray for you. Anybody here that prayed with me? Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you, dear. I just want to pray for you. Thank you. Anybody else? All you got to do is just raise your hand. I just want to pray for you. Not here to embarrass you. I promise you that. That's not what Jesus is about. He's about loving you and giving you his life and his forgiveness. Anybody else needs to make that commitment today, and I, I just want to pray for you. Man, thank you. 